Welcome to Judaism in the 21st Century, the podcast that explores issues we face in life and how we can better deal with them with lessons rooted in Judaism. I'm your host, Stephen Labkoff, and my co-host with me every week is Rabbi Daniel Cohen from Congregation Agudath Shalom in Stanford, Connecticut. Welcome aboard, and let's get to it. Well, no, just being with you, by the way, is always illuminating. So uh, I think, you know, Judaism is a, a faith that really offers us a touchstone, no matter what um, uh, generation which we're in. And I think the topic today is uh, as relevant as ever, unfortunately. So speaking of today's topic, um, I'm going to start off with a little vignette, and that'll get us into the topic. And this, bear with me, because this might or might not land. But about, I don't know, six or seven years ago, I took my wife to go see a show on Broadway. And the show just happened to be Wicked. And I was, you know, first of all, great show. Good music, great acting, fantastic dancing. But something was troubling me after I left the uh, theater. And it troubled me for quite a long time. And the, the problem I had was was that I had actually read the Frank L. Baum um, uh, Wizard of Oz stories to my daughter when she was little. And the concept of revisiting his vision of who the Wicked Witch of the West was, and in fact, casting her as the heroine versus the evil villain that she was throughout those stories troubled me. And it troubled me because, you know, in today's world, I think we're getting confusion through media, through, you know, all kinds of different avenues as to what the differences are between things that are good and things that are actually evil or wicked in this case. Yeah. And I'd love to toss that out for our discussion today. What is, how do you look at evil in the 21st century and how, what does Judaism have to say about it? So there we are. That's the premise for today's discussion. Wow. So I think this is actually a, a perfect a model for really what our whole podcast is all about. Because we're definitely living in a generation, unfortunately, and this is not new, but it's even more, I think, apparent, of a certain degree of moral confusion versus moral clarity. You know, how do we know, for example, as you say, what is evil, what is good, what is right, what is wrong? Now, there are certain things that you would think that everybody would agree to be evil. You know, barbaric acts, torture, heinous murder of children. Holocaust survivors, as has happened in Israel. The question becomes, of course, you know, for those that believe um, that something potentially can be justified, what's right and what's wrong, it can become very, I mean, for some people who have a vision of what the end game is, then it's potential to justify anything. And I'll share something with you that always sends chills down my spine. And it was from my teacher, Yeshiva University. He taught, and this is a very, very important idea within Judaism and very relevant. He goes back to a passage in Genesis where Abraham um, is leaving Canaan, uh, Israel, and he goes to an area called the Plishtim. Um, and there he says that Sarah is not his wife, but Sarah is his sister. Well, as it turns out, uh, the king there takes Sarah, and God appears to him and says, why are you touching this man's wife? He comes back to Abraham and said, Abraham, why didn't you tell me the truth? 
And Abraham says, because there is no fear of God in this place, your morals are going to be relativistic. And basically, he said, as a survivor of the Holocaust, culture is not a guarantee of civilization. The same nation that could play Bach and Beethoven can also send individuals to the gas chambers. So I think even more so, the Torah itself, Judaism guides us so that we don't become morally confused. You know, that we have a clear sense of what is evil and what is good. And then once we have that sense of clarity, we have to do whatever we can to eradicate the evil and then obviously overwhelm the world with a sense of goodness. Well, you know, this issue of moral clarity in a true north is something I think that has become really hard to find these days. I remember when I was younger in my life, you know, it was always, you know, clear who our enemies were. You know, back when I was a boy in the midst of the Cold War, the Russians were the enemy, pure and simple. Yet later in life, you know, the Cold War ended. We started working with Russians. I actually, when I was working at a pharma company uh, back in my earlier in my career, 10 years ago, I went to visit St. Petersburg and went to see the Hermitage and an opera and you know what? Those enemies looked like normal people and behaved like normal people. And it left me scratching my head. Were the Russians really evil? You know, they were portrayed mm -hmm. as evil. They were considered the evil empire by our president back in the, in the 80s, Reagan, Ronald Reagan. Yeah. But were they actually evil versus where we are today when Russia is actually following another despot and has actually invaded another country and is causing the deaths of thousands and thousands of people, children, women, children, and uh, innocent civilians. Where do you come out on? So is, is evil relativistic? Is it relative to the times? Or is evil absolute? I think evil is absolute. I mean, I do believe that there are questions. I mean, I'll give you an example. You know, unfortunately, we all want peace, but war is, you know, justified, you know, in terms of self-defense. So there's, you know, when evil is there, Obviously, take World War II, for example. I don't think anybody would argue that Nazism is evil. It needs to be eradicated. You know, as somebody once said, um, the governor of Georgia, who I was with a number of years ago, when he was talking about having moral clarity, he said in his southern accent, he said, when I think about my life, you know, I live on a farm in, uh, in Georgia, and I hope that farm it will be there for my children and my grandchildren. And he said, I tell my kids, and my grandkids, if you see a snake on that farmland, you don't negotiate with the snake. You cut the head off. And evil has to be eradicated. And I think to a certain degree, and that's really where Judaism and the Torah comes in, because, you know, certain things, you know, people can be so open minded, their brains fall out. And I think you have that many times today. I mean, again, going back to the current situation. Hamas is evil. We obviously hope that maybe there'll be, you know, more moderate voices within the Muslim community that are able Israel and uh, Muslims to live side by side. But there's no justification for the evil and the barbarism, ISIS uh, and Iran. Um, so I think we get down a slippery slope and actually we uh, run counter to creating a world as it ought to be if we don't actually identify evil as evil. That doesn't mean that there aren't certain cases that are morally ambiguous, 
beyond you know outright evil and that's where we look to you know not necessarily only uh, pundits or newspapers but we do look to the torah to try to help us guide it um, one, one, one important teaching which is in the talmud it says that when we pray let's say for you know evil to be eradicated it says we don't pray always necessarily for the death of people that are evil but we pray, pray first and foremost they abandon their evil ways because we do believe that everybody has a soul, everybody's created in God's image, and that's really what the Jewish approach, you know, hopefully um, would inspire, as opposed to okay, you know, there's there's no room for anybody to do tshuva to 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 repent. Very interesting perspective here. I I wonder if you might comment on. I know there's a Bible story. Uh, is it a Malik that was mentioned in the Bible? In and the Jews was they left Egypt ran into this group, Amalek, I believe it's called, maybe you can correct my pronunciation, and they didn't well, actually kill yeah. everyone. And later on, a thousand years later, whenever the time was, uh, the descendants of Amalek were, became Haman and his sons. Yeah. Is there a lesson there you want to maybe comment on? Is that relevant today? Um, it is, um, in certain ways, yes, in certain ways, no. So in the way that it's relevant is Amalek represents, certainly in biblical times, Amalek represented a nation, okay? And that nation was fully committed to the annihilation of the Jewish people at different pivotal moments in history. And God basically gave a directive to King Saul, and it was coming from God through the prophet Samuel. This is what you need to do to eradicate Amalek. Saul, unfortunately, in this case, had misplaced mercy, it spared some of Amalek who ultimately become the ancestors to Haman and Amalek that continues to pursue us. It's important to understand that we don't have today a nation of Amalek. We have an ideology, ideology of Amalek. Iran's uh, theocracy embraces Amalek ideologies, but there's no commandment to annihilate Iran. You know, there are Hamas is an ideology, but it's not that the entire obviously, Palestinian population in any way is like that. We hope for peace. That being said, I look at this current situation right now as definitely a manifestation of the eternal struggle between the Amalek ideology, which is one of anarchy, evil, denying the uniqueness of the Jewish people, and Israel's struggle to live in safety and security and be a beacon of light as a reflection of that existential struggle that has begun for thousands of years. And I also, though, draw faith from there. Because we say at the Seder table, in every generation, they try to annihilate us. That's just an unfortunate reality of the light in which we're trying to shine on the world. There are some ideologies uh, that don't want to live in a world where there is a godly presence, that don't want to live in a world of consciousness uh, that is moral, of righteousness and ethics. Uh, but we also say, as we lift up that cup of wine, but God is there. God has helped us vanquish vanquish the enemies that have faced us. And we hope and pray that that day comes very soon. And we never lose faith because we believe that God is sovereign. The Garden of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. And there will be a time when this Amalek ideology that is manifest in, you might say, individuals in Iran, in South Korea, in 
North Korea, uh, you mean, don't you? North Korea, not, not South Korea, North Korea. Maybe, maybe you know, in different places in the world, Hamas um, is ultimately um, extinguished. Um, and we pray for a time when, you know, the lion will lie with the lamb. Uh, we believe there will be a time when everyone will recognize uh, God's presence in every person in the world. So how do we bring it home in terms of, like, how do we establish a moral compass of today using our, you know, our lessons of the past, because I I still find that when I watch the news or when I read the newspaper or when I listen to pundits on YouTube, I tell you, finding a moral truth north is tough today. What? That's you- why you should be studying more Torah. <laughs> I mean, the truth is, I would not recommend that anybody listens to news pundits to try to find a moral compass. Fair I enough. mean, fair enough. You know, they're not faith-driven people. They're driven by other considerations. So, I think that um, you know this comes back. If there's any um, uh, perspective that needs a Torah point of view um, in the world today, a Jewish point of view, it's the moral ambiguity uh, that people have around the nature of what's good and what's evil. Well, I'll tell you, this is a complex topic, and I want to make sure that we. Uh, let people sit and think about this, but I'd love to revisit this or see if anybody out there has any comments. They can leave in the comment section of our podcast because this is this is a difficult and challenging topic from my perspective. And I'm really grateful that you spend a little time unpacking it with me. And uh, yeah, I think maybe I do need to stop listening to the news as much as I do, <laughs> um, which is why we studied together on Thursday evenings. Exactly, exactly. So with that, let's call a wrap for now. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in. We're This is our seventh or eighth episode. And we'd love to get some feedback from you, either through email or through um, some chats in our, in our posts. And please provide us with some feedback on these episodes. Thank you very much. And until thank next you. time, have a nice week. Hello. Thanks for listening to Judaism in the 21st Century. I'm Dr. Stephen Labkoff, and for my co-host, Rabbi Daniel Cohen, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back again next week with another episode. See you next time.